Good evening. The uh, verse that Jonathan just read said, as the elect of God, we are to put on mercies. Uh, one of the other translations of the Bible, the American Standard Version, translates that as be clothed in compassion. And that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, being clothed in compassion. I want to look at what compassion is, um, how it looks in the life or should look in the life of a Christian, and how it looked in the life of Jesus, our perfect example of compassion. And how we can better ourselves to be more compassionate, of which, in studying this, um, comparing myself to the Word of God and compassion, I see that I'm lacking in, in this area, and I could probably do a lot better, which the Word of God is supposed to do, expose our, expose our weaknesses so we can improve. Um, first of all, let's look at what compassion is. The word compassion literally means to suffer with. The prefix C-O-M means with. And the word passion means suffer. So the meaning of the word compassion is literally to suffer with. Or in other words, to feel what other people are feeling. People who are hurting or suffering. I have enough love for them and care for them, but I also suffer with them. Webster defines it as a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress, together with a desire to alleviate it. So it's feeling what others feel, suffering with other people. But in addition to that, it moves me to want to alleviate their suffering. Other synonyms for the word are mercy, as we just saw, sympathy, and pity. First of all, the Bible describes God as compassionate. Actually, it describes God as full of compassion. In Psalms 86, uh, verse 15, the psalmist says, But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. Again, in Psalms 145, 8 and 9. You need this one. Little glitch in the system here. Um, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and great in mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. And one last one, James chapter 5, verse 11, and another description of God's compassion, it says, Indeed we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. So in these verses and many other verses in the Bible, God describes himself as full of compassion. So our creator is full of compassion or this emotion that when we suffer, he suffers. When we hurt, he emotionally hurts. He feels for us. He can sympathize with us. He pities us, and he's merciful towards us. And on top of that, when he sees that suffering, he wants to alleviate it. Um, compassion is a reflection of love, right? It's hard for me to suffer with somebody or feel with somebody if I don't love that person. So compassion is a reflection of love, and the source of compassion is love. Think about, if you will, all you parents who have children. When your children hurt themselves, maybe they fall down and scrape their knee. They hurt. Well, you hurt with them, right? You want to alleviate that suffering by either giving them a kiss or putting a Band-Aid and cleaning the wound. You hurt when your children hurt. This is kind of how God feels towards us. We can look at compassion in the life of Christ and get insight into God's compassion in relationship to mankind. And that's what I want to do tonight. Kind of look at the compassion um, and the actions in the life of Jesus so we can see, get a clearer picture of what compassion is. 
And that's one of the things that made Jesus so attractive when he was on earth is, yes, he had some rigorous teachings. He demanded loyalty from people above their own family. He wanted us to choose him above their own family. So what attracted people to his teachings and wanting to follow him? I think one thing is his great compassion for other people and how that was manifest in his life. There's many Greek words to describe this idea of compassion. One of them I want to talk about first. Um, excuse my Greek pronunciation. I'm not a Greek scholar, but the word is splanknon or splanknon. That's a Greek word which literally means intestines. So the literal meaning of it is intestines, but figuratively, the Greeks and the Hebrews used it to signify a deep, deep feeling or emotion. So like you're feeling it deep in your intestines. Um, a deep feeling like compassion. Compare it to our English word heart. So somebody is suffering, I say, my heart goes out to that person, or my heart breaks for that person, or I feel their pain in my heart. That's kind of the same thing. They would use the word intestines. And that's used in a couple of verses here I want to talk about. First, we see compassion of Jesus for the physically afflicted or the people who are physically ill. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, we see Jesus, round about verse 40, he's traveling with his disciples. A man approaches him who's a leper. Again, his body was ravaged with leprosy. You know, these people um, were usually, their hair was unkempt. Um, they wore tattered clothes. Uh, their skin would have sores where their skin was almost like scales. They're in a great deal of pain. They would lose digits, fingers, uh, their nose, all kinds of things. This is the kind of person that Jesus saw approaching him. And the man falls down in front of Jesus on his knees and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus is fixing to perform a miracle here. Now, the Bible tells us what the purpose of miracles are. In Mark 16 and 20, it tells us that, oh, Mark 16, 20, I'm sorry. We'll get it right in a second. It says, they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So the, one of the, the first um, purpose of miracles was to confirm that the word these guys were teaching were from God. I come to you, I tell you a teaching of Jesus, and to show you that I am teaching from Jesus and from God, I can perform a miracle to show you that I was from God. Number two, in John chapter 5, 32, the miracles were to prove that Jesus was indeed from God. It says, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. And I left out a verse there. But anyway, it says that the signs that I do confirm that I am from God. And if you remember in John chapter 3, Nicodemus told Jesus, We know you're from God because no man could do what you do unless he is from God. So the miracles had two purposes. One was to confirm the message, and number two, to prove that Jesus was from God. So in this Verse, uh, this chapter here, Mark chapter 1, when the leper comes before Jesus and bows before him, Jesus is fixing to perform a miracle, which again is to confirm he was from God. But what prompted that miracle? What motivated Jesus to perform this miracle? In verse 40, it says, Jesus, I'm sorry, 41, it says, Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing to be cleansed. So this man comes to Jesus, falls down in front of him, begs him to make him clean, and Jesus performs a miracle which was motivated by his compassion. It says he was moved with compassion. That word, compassion, is from the Greek word splanknon, which means intestines. Jesus had a deep, deep feeling of this man's suffering and wanted to alleviate it. 
So what prompted the Lord's miracle was the healing of this man was his compassion. His compassion moved him to alleviate the man's suffering. Jesus felt his suffering. He felt it deeply in his, as in his intestines. So I can be assured that if I'm suffering physical ailments, illnesses, disease, that yes, Jesus does care. He does have compassion. He suffers with me. He feels for me. He wants to alleviate that suffering or to, through us, alleviate people's suffering by showing compassion. Showing compassion to people who are sick or ill can also open doors to teach them about Jesus, right? To give you an example, when I attended the church or the congregation in uh, Murfreesboro, they had, I think I mentioned this before, they had a uh, program called the Barnabas List. If you had friends, uh, co-workers, loved ones, family, or just somebody you knew that was experiencing difficulties, on Sunday morning you give their name and address, phone number, uh, to the secretary of the church. And she would put it on a list, and then Sunday night you pick that list up. And you can send the purple people um, cards, text, phone call, visit. I knew a lady who was in the hospital, and she was a member of a denomination, and I placed her name on this list, and I went to see her in the hospital, and uh, she said, you know, for my church, I haven't got one single card, but from your church, I've received over 60 cards, three visitors, and several phone calls, and she asked me if she could speak to my preacher, because she wanted to know more about Jesus and the gospel, so showing people compassion can open doors to, or give us opportunity to teach them about Jesus, right, when we show the love of Jesus and his compassion through us, we can open doors to teach them about Jesus. So am I compassionate? Do I feel the suffering of others when I see them sick, suffering from illness, disease? Do I take the time to call them, visit, send a text, send a card, sit with them to show them my love for them and my compassion for them as Jesus did? And I must admit, in this area, I probably have failed, probably some of you, which shame on me. That's something I can improve on. I think all of us can probably improve on it. We have a sick list here we send out every week. How many of those people do I call? How many of those people do I send cards to? How many people do I sit with or pray for? These are things I can improve on and maybe some of you can too. Number two, Jesus also had compassion for those in mourning, mourning the loss of loved ones. We see that in Luke chapter 7. Jesus and his disciples were approaching the city of Nain and a funeral procession was coming out of the city and he was fixing it again to perform another miracle. And again, what prompted this miracle? This man who had passed away was the only son of a widow, so this was her only source of care, um, monetarily, as well as other, in other ways. And she had just lost her only son. What prompted the miracle? We see that in verse 13 of chapter 7. It says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And then we know that she, he raised the lady's son and, and presented her presented him to her. Verse 14, he came and touched the open coffin and those who carried him stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So what prompted Jesus to raise his son from the dead? Well, it says what prompted him to perform this miracle is when he saw the lady. It says when he saw her, again, he was moved with compassion. His deep care, his deep love for her, seeing her in her grief, seeing her in her sorrow, prompted Jesus, moved Jesus to want to alleviate that suffering. And he did by raising her son. So the Lord has compassion for those who mourn. So if I lose loved ones or we all lose loved ones, I can be assured that Jesus has compassion for me. He feels for me. He knows my suffering. He's concerned about my suffering. 
and taking a look at myself, do I have the same compassion Jesus did? When I see someone who's in grief over loved ones who have passed away, do I show them compassion by going to the funeral home, studying with them? Again, sending cards, calls, texts, visiting them. I know the one of the programs we hear we have here that's a to me a great expression of compassion is fixing meals for people who have funerals, right? The ladies here prepare meals for people who have had a loved one passed away. That's us showing compassion. Again, that kind of compassion and those kind of acts that come from that compassion can prompt us or give us an opportunity to teach people about Jesus when they see our compassion. You never know a spark that you might ignite by showing others compassion. You may never see the fruits of it with your own eyes, but it does affect people. So we see Jesus had compassion for physically ill, for those who are mourning. Let's look in a different direction here. Jesus had compassion for those who were spiritually wandering or who had no sense of direction spiritually. Again, the word splanknon, that word it means intestines or deep feeling. In Mark chapter 6, a little background on the chapter here. Jesus had sent out the 12 to go preach the kingdom. Uh, they, he gave them power to cast out demons and heal people, and he wanted them to teach the gospel. Um, they had returned, and in that time when they were away, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. The disciples returned and given a report to Jesus, and they were very tired. Uh, Jesus was probably filled with grief for the passing of his loved one. And he decides, we need to get on a boat, we need to go over to a deserted place so we can rest. As they depart, all these people saw Jesus departing on the boat. Well, they ran to the other side of the lake, and when Jesus got off the boat, they were there. And it says, the multitude saw him departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude, and again the phrase, was moved with compassion for them. Why was he moved for compassion for them? Because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Again, Jesus saw these people. He had that deep feeling of compassion and suffering because he saw these people who had no spiritual direction, no spiritual guidance, who were wandering, who were starving for some kind of spiritual direction from somebody. And this caused him to set his own personal grief aside and his own personal problems. You know, he was probably tired too. He was grieving over the loss of John the Baptist, but he saw these people's spiritual needs, and he was able to set his own needs aside to alleviate their suffering, their spiritual misdirection, by teaching them many things, it says. Luke says that he welcomed them when he got off the boat, and he taught them about the kingdom. So, in light of Jesus' compassion for those who are wandering spiritually, am I compassionate for these kind of people, too? Am I moved when I see somebody spiritually lost? Do I set aside my own personal griefs, my own problems, my own physical needs to see to theirs, to share the gospel with them, to share them the solution to their problem of spiritual misdirection by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus? You know, the same solution for these people in Jesus' time was he taught them many things to give them spiritual direction. Well, the solution today is the same thing. People need to hear about Jesus. He said in John 14, chapter 6, that I am the way. So there's only one way to give sheep who don't have a shepherd. There's only one solution to that problem. That's to introduce them to the good shepherd, right, and his teachings, to give them spiritual direction. Do I share Jesus' teaching with people? To give you an example, uh, we all probably 
encounter people who were spiritually misdirected or spiritually lost and wandering and seeking some kind of spiritual direction. I know a person who oftentimes when I speak to them, they talk about maybe like how life doesn't seem to have any purpose, how this person has a hard time believing in God, most of the time proclaims to be an atheist, um, has no sense of direction, has no sense of joy or purpose, and they mention that a lot. But when I try to share the um, solution with them about Jesus, the first thing they say is, that's not the solution. Again, people spiritual wandering, you see them suffering that spiritual misdirection, that spiritual wandering, you want to share with them the solution of that because you feel for that person, because of your love for them, you suffer with them. You see that, yes, they have, they have a need, they have spiritual wandering, and you want to share the answer to them because you care about them and love for them because compassion is a reflection of love. I had another friend who spent a lifetime looking for some kind of anchor or spiritual direction. He uh, dabbled with all kinds of drugs and alcohol and different religions. Like uh, one time he proclaimed to be a Buddhist, another time a Hindu, all these things, but he would not ever accept that Christianity was the way. He just always, when I talked to him about it, just didn't want to hear it. But he went from religion to religion and all these kind of pleasures and hobbies and things, trying to find some kind of joy in life, some kind of purpose. And a few years ago, he passed away. And from what I've gathered, his family's kind of tight-lipped about it. He either passed away from a drug overdose or suicide. I'm not sure which. But again, seeing people suffer this way, you want to relieve that suffering by sharing the teachings of Jesus with them. That's showing compassion for them. So do I have compassion for people who are spiritually wandering, people who are mourning the loss of loved ones or in grief, and people who are physically ill? This is the sum of ways Jesus showed compassion. Again, as being the perfect example for us, things that I need to take into account and apply to my life. Number four, what about Jesus' compassion for those struggling with temptation? This morning in our class, in the teen class, we were talking about the temptation of Christ, and we discussed this verse a little bit. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. That word sympathize comes from a Greek word, sympatheo, which means to feel with or to have a fellow or similar feeling. So our high priest can feel what we feel when we are tempted because he experienced it. He was tempted in all ways like we are, but the difference is he didn't sin. So does Jesus understand my struggle when I'm faced with temptation? Yes, because he experienced it. The Bible tells us he did. Does Jesus care when I'm tempted? Yes, it says here he feels sympathy for us. He, has a, he feels it with us. He has a similar feeling or a fellow feeling with us because he understands the power of temptation. He understands the difficulty of the struggle, and he cares for us. He's on our side. He wants us to overcome. It's not that he doesn't care when we're tempted. He's actually rooting for us because he knows the allurement of sin. He understands its powers. He understands the struggle because he's experienced it. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18 says, he, For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. So yes, Jesus understands the suffering. He understands the power, the struggle, the power of temptation, and all that comes with that, because he's experienced it. So he can sympathize with us. Our high priest can sympathize with us. He suffered temptation and can aid those who are being tempted. So 
how do I feel when I'm faced with temptation? Do I feel like I'm alone? Nobody understands. God really doesn't understand this. This is unique to me. He has no idea what I'm going through. Well, no, he does, because he's been tempted just like we were, and he suffers with us, and he feels for us. How do I feel when I see people struggling with temptation? Do I encourage them? Just ignore it? Say, oh, he'll get it, or you know, it'll work itself out? Or do I cheer him on? Do I give him an ear to listen? Do I give him a shoulder to cry on? Do I offer to help? All these things are showing compassion for a person who's struggling with temptation. Number five, Jesus also had sympathy or compassion for the hard-hearted. Now, this is something that was, when I studied this, that kind of opened my eyes a little bit. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus was in the synagogue, and there was a man there who had a withered hand. And the Pharisees were there watching Jesus, waiting for him to heal the man so they could accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus brought forth the man and said, Is it lawful to do good or evil or to save a life on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees remained silent. They didn't answer. In Mark chapter 3, verse 5, it says, When he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as whole as the other. I want to look at that one phrase there. It says, he looked at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. Yes, their motives, the disposition of their heart, their hard hearts, and their lack of compassion for the man who had the withered hand angered Jesus. But on the other hand, it tells us here also that it grieved him. That word grieved there, from the Greek word sunlupeo means sorrow or pain of the mind or body. So what's it saying? Yes, he was angry with these guys, but he also grieved for them. He felt pain of the mind or body. It hurt him to see that this mean, these men's disposition, their hard hearts, their lack of compassion, their sin angered him, but it also he grieved for them because he saw that they, they were their own worst enemy. He felt sympathy. He felt grief. He felt pity for them example of that <laughs> can you be, be angry with somebody but also grieve for them well you can just ask my parents I did lots of things in my former life that hurt them uh, beyond imagination you know stealing lying being on drugs doing all sorts of things living a rock, raucous lifestyle did those things anger them I'm sure it did but underneath all that they grieved for me they saw what my decisions, my way of life, the condition of my heart, what it was doing to me, and they grieved for me because they felt the pain. They saw me suffering. They didn't want me to suffer, but they suffered with me because it grieved them well, what I was doing to myself. Well, that's the way Jesus looks at us. He doesn't condone our sin because right? sin is the root of our problem. He doesn't, he doesn't want us to continue in that sin and keep experiencing the suffering, but it grieves him. We have hard hearts and we deny his teachings and we choose to live a worldly lifestyle. What about me? How do I feel towards people who are caught up in a lifestyle like that? Do I say well, they're getting what they deserve? They chose that lifestyle. They're going to get their just due. Is that how I feel? Or do I feel like Jesus? Yes, we see sins of the world and some of them can anger us. But do we grieve for the sinner? Do we want to share the gospel with them to alleviate the suffering they're experiencing for not living according to God's teachings? I think that's another area I can improve on, right? Is being sympathetic to people who are suffering the effects of sin. It's not that I condone their sin and want them to continue in it, but I grieve that 
if not repented of, these sins can cost them their soul. And they're experiencing suffering that they don't have to experience. And we all have loved ones, I'm sure, friends and relatives we see who's living these kind of lifestyles. We see the suffering and what their decisions are doing to their life. Yes, it may anger us, their decisions and what's happening to them, but underneath we should have that compassion that, man, we just want them to see the light, right? Number six. Jesus' compassion towards those who have been mired in sin. Sometimes, and I've been guilty of this in the past before I knew better, we may see God as unloving, not caring, or hating those who are mired in sin. But is that how the Bible presents God? Is that how the Bible portrays God? Or does he have compassion for those who are mired in sin and experiencing its effects? Well, one of the most well-known parables of Jesus is in Luke chapter 15. We know it as the prodigal son. It kind of shows us God's compassion to those returning from sin. If you remember, the son asked his father for his inheritance early. He went out to a far country, and he wasted his whole inheritance on debauchery and riotous living. Um, as far away from the father as he could be, and wanted to do things his own way, experience all kind of pleasure and, and all the things the world had to offer. And when the son comes to himself, after he experiences all these effects of the sin, and he hits rock bottom, he comes to himself and he resolves in his heart to return to his father. In Luke chapter 15, verse 20, we see the reaction of the father. It says, He arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. When we have immersed ourselves in sin and shame, God grieves for us. He wants us back. And because of his compassion, receives us back. What prompts him or the father in this parable? What prompts the father or retrospective God? What prompts him to take us back? What prompts God to take back a penitent sinner who had lived a worldly lifestyle, rejected God, wanted to do things his way, experience all these worldly pleasures? What prompts God to take that person back? Well, it tells us here it's compassion. He didn't stop the son as you see him coming to him and said, well, well, you chose that lifestyle. You need to suffer the effects. I don't want you back. You had your chance. You blew it. Don't ever come around here again. We don't see that portrayal of God. We don't see God hating him or reacting with anger. We see God reacting with compassion. He's glad the guy came back. He's glad his son came back. He's glad his son repented. And because of his compassion, he embraced his son and took him back. Am I compassionate toward penitent sinners? Now, we've all experienced sin and maybe sinful lifestyles, and having experienced that and suffered that, how do I feel when somebody comes back and wants to return to God? Do I shun that person and say, well, I don't think they've really changed. They were getting what they deserved. They chose that lifestyle, and now they need, they need to suffer the effects. Or do I welcome them back in? Do I sit down and talk to them and say, hey, I'm glad you're back? Glad you made it back. We're so glad you came back. Or again, do I shun that person? To be more like God, I need to be more compassionate toward these people who have experienced the effects of sins but made the decision to repent and come back to God. God doesn't condone sin. Sin is the problem and the root of all human suffering. It grieves him when we are lost in it and he wants us to return to him. He can sympathize with our plight and his compassion moves him to alleviate our suffering.
And lastly, we are called to be compassionate. In Jesus' teachings, he taught about compassion. In Luke chapter 10, we, talk, we see the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Remember, the lawyer had asked Jesus uh, what he must do to inherit eternal life, and he said, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And the prompted the lawyer to ask, well, who's my neighbor? And then Jesus goes into a parable about the Good Samaritan where the man is traveling. He gets overcome by robbers. He's beaten, stripped, left on the side of the road. You have the, high pri- or you have the priest and the Levite come by. Ignore him, walk on by, and pass him by. But then you have the Good Samaritan who comes sees a man, attends to his needs, takes him to an inn, pays for the inn, pays for all he needed, and said, if there's anything left, when I come back, I'll pay for it. And Jesus asked the question, I ask you, which one of this man was his neighbor? And the man replied, the one who showed him compassion, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus also talked about in his teachings the lack of compassion. Remember in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 44, he talks about, I was hungry, you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was in prison, you didn't come visit me. You didn't show compassion to someone who needed it. You didn't love me enough. You didn't love the people enough to have compassion, to suffer with them, to want to alleviate that suffering. And we know what the effects or the sentence was for those who didn't have compassion. He said, depart from me, and they were sent to the left to be uh, <clears throat> sent to eternal fire. So compassion is something we are all to have, to show. It's an emotion that comes from love, so with great love comes great compassion. The more I love, the more compassionate I can be to people. So I need to ask myself, and I have many times <laughs> in preparing this lesson, am I compassionate? Can I improve? Can I feel more for people? Can I grow more in compassion and showing compassion to people? Do I see people suffering and love them enough to suffer with them and want to alleviate that suffering? How am I doing? That's a question I need to ask myself. And in light of Jesus, I find myself falling short. It's something I can definitely improve on. To sum it all up, Wayne Jackson, this comes from one of his articles in the Christian Courier, which a lot of these points came from. It's, as I was studying compassion, I ran upon this article. He says this, When we are afflicted with disease and pain, he cares. When we grieve the loss of loved ones, he cares. When we are confused and in a maze of misdirection, desperately needing leadership, he has compassion for us. When we are mistreated, he feels for us. When we dredge ourselves into the mire of sin, he grieves over that disaster. When, in the hardness of our hearts, we even hatefully oppose him, he continues to feel for us. Is this not absolutely amazing? It is amazing. When you think about the God, the creator of the world, that's how he feels toward us, right? He does care. He does have compassion. He has sympathy, pity. He's done all he could to alleviate that suffering. You know, he sees the world suffering the effects of sin and the worldly lifestyle. He knew the outcome of sin would be eternal separation for him, and his compassion moved him to send his only son to die for us. An outpouring or reflection of his great love for us and his compassion for us was sending Jesus. So tonight, if you're not a Christian, and you're suffering the effects of sin or a life with spiritual misdirection, the solution is the same it was in Jesus' time. It's adhering to his doctrine, to his teachings, and applying them to your life. To become a Christian, you're to believe that he is the Son of God, that he died for your sins. You are to confess those sins, repent of them, and be baptized for the remission of those sins. 
as Christians, as I found out myself in preparing this Bible or this uh, lesson, I may fall short sometimes in some of the things God expects of me. And that's something I'm responsible for and I take responsibility for. And if I've failed any of you in this area, I apologize. I can do better. And I intend to do better. But a lot of us fall short in many things. But the good news is God wants us to repent and come back to him. And like the prodigal son showed us, he's compassionate and will receive us back because of that compassion. 